the impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those knuckleheads of liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. Welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. We are coming at you on October 19th, 2022. Just one more step further into the abyss of the Biden administration. But uh, today we actually have a special guest uh, to uh, take our minds off of that, hopefully a little bit. (laughs) And uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, Susan Shelley, uh, who is the Vice President of Communications at the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. So we're going to find out a little more about that. But let me introduce you to our panel first. In our upper left-hand corner, we have Leon, the word Brathwaite, last word in Liberty. He is a retired engineer in the state of California. In our lower left-hand corner, we have our screaming eagle of freedom, Tim Everett. He is a we are wearing wearing a brace, <laughs> brace after one of my uh, typical landings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you look a little like that uh, what would it go, bird in the rescuers who... <laughs> yeah. Old yeah. Disney movie. Right. I- <laughs> It was yeah. it was a mostly safe flight except except for the mostly. landing. Yeah, there you go. It was well. a, a little, uh, as we like to say, uh, gravelly. Ah, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's hope we get a smoother uh, landing for the rest of the show. Here. In our upper right-hand corner, we have Susan Shelley, and once again, she is of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. We're going to find out all about that organization on this show. Uh, so, Susan, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is, and uh, and what you guys do over there? And James, can you bring up the uh, visual as well? Thanks. Sure, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. The Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association has been around since 1978. This is the organization that put Proposition 13 on the ballot. And if you're not familiar with Proposition 13, it was the biggest tax revolt in the history of California and maybe in the history of the United States. The property taxes in California were going up so fast as inflation was pushing up the values of homes, that people were literally being taxed out of their own property. And as you know, on this podcast, property is not just property. Property is one of the foundations of liberty, life, liberty, property. If you can't own and enjoy your property, you are not really free if someone else is controlling what you own. So the idea that people were being taxed out of their home by something they could not control which was the rising value of real estate, was just becoming a problem that was worse and worse in California. The legislature wouldn't do anything about it. And Howard Jarvis, who was a businessman and he was an apartment owner, he was the executive director of the Apartment Owners Association of Greater Los Angeles. He worked over and over again, year after year, to put something on the ballot to address the property tax crisis. And that was Prop 13. And it passed... I think it was his fifth try at getting it on the ballot in California. As you know, we have the initiative here. We can write our own laws, get them on the ballot, present them to the voters. That's what Prop 13 was. It amended the Constitution. It cut the property tax rate statewide to 1%, which it it had been as high as 3% in some places. And most importantly, it capped how much your assessed value could rise while you owned your property so that you were never taxed out of your property 
by something you couldn't control, the value of real estate. And the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association was formed by Howard Jarvis. It wasn't called that at the time. It was named for him after he passed away in 1986. But it was formed to defend Prop 13, to defend taxpayers, to go to court, to go to the ballot, to go to the legislature, and make sure that these taxpayer protections were respected. And that's what the organization still does. Well, you know, for a little bit of sticker shock, I know you were showing me that there is a link where a person can go and see what they would pay today on your site if it weren't for the protections you guys put in place over there. Um, and so I, I'm going to click on that link right now so we can uh, show our viewers. And it's called the guessing game. Uh, right. how, how high we made it? Your <laughs> we made it look like a carnival game because it's a con <laughs> game. Like property taxes used to be, it was a con game, like a midway con game. Awesome. Well, you know, the, the median or, a, you know, I think of the average of the median uh, house price in California, unbelievably, <laughs> is over $800,000. So I'm going to plug that number in real quick here. And we will see what you would be paying if it were not for the efforts of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Wow, over $20,000. Every year, every year as a condition of keeping what you already own, you see the problem. And the politicians were fine with that because the revenue was going up every year and they didn't have to do anything. The taxes just went up automatically. But in the neighborhoods where people who were retired, where people who weren't making enough money to keep up with that kind of inflation, they were paying those tax bills with real after-tax dollars that they earned working in California. And then they had to pay it all to the government to keep what they already owned. It was outrageous. Is that, is that, I, I, I think I... It's a wealth tax of the worst kind. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think what makes it equally Im an equally immoral aspect of that is that uh, we, we see the rise in property values based on the plummeting of the value of the fiat currency we are um, required by law to utilize in our right. transactions, including these tax transactions. So at the same time, they are diminishing on purpose the value of our currency. They are um, exposing us with uh, these kinds of um, situations they put us in to, um, to, to paying for, uh, for it, um, you know, regardless of whether or not we can. Uh, so, yeah, so immorality is rampant. Yes. Inflation is a tax. It hits the middle class. It hits, the, yes. it hits working people. It hits the people who are least able to pay and least able to manipulate their assets to get around it as best they can. So it hurts everybody and it punishes responsible behavior, like saving your money. It punishes you for that because being deep in debt is actually better during high inflation because you're paying it back with cheaper dollars and all. But this is this is not useful. Inflation is disastrous. And when real estate prices are soaring and people are being taxed on the market value of their property, as happens in other states, it hits people very hard. And Californians did something about it. We have the initiative. We did Proposition 13. And it remains popular at the same level as when it passed in 1978. And this is the reason, because it's still happening. So, Susan, do you guys, I mean, um, you just talk about punishing um, punishing good behavior. I mean, the the progressive the, the progressive attack system in general does that, punish punish um, good behavior, where people, you know, they, um, they work hard, they move up into higher tax brackets. 
and they pay a higher marginal rate. Do you all get into these kind of issues of trying to to narrow those brackets so that eventually maybe even get a flat tax or anything like that? Do you all get into those kind of issues? I would love to see that. With the legislature we have in California, that's not going to happen. I would love to see a flat tax in California. Many other states do a flat income tax, and then you have an exemption for a certain amount of income so it doesn't hit people from the first dollar. Uh, That would be a great solution. But California has a very progressive income tax. The the top marginal rate in California is 13.3%, just the state income tax. 13.3%. 13.3%. And there's something on the ballot in November that would raise it to 15.05 on high earners. So we're already the highest in the nation. If people want to move and go to a state with lower income taxes, they have 49 other choices where they can get a better deal than they've got in California. And some of them have nice weather. You know, it's we don't have a, we don't have a monopoly on nice weather. So yeah. uh, people can leave. And if if enough high earners leave, the, the way that the tax code is structured in California, something like half a percent of all the tax filers pay more than half of all the personal income tax revenue. It varies from year to year, but it's it's a very small fraction of tax filers paying a very large proportion of the income tax revenue, which is most of the general fund. And so if they move to Nevada or Florida or Texas for a zero income tax rate, it's going to leave a crater in the budget and then what? Then there's less money for schools. Then they're going to come to the rest of us for tax increases. Yes. So people have to understand that the government doesn't have any money of its own. And when it's raising taxes, that's having consequences. Yeah. It's funny. Mm. You, you even see people who are like uh, athletes, professional athletes, making decisions on where they're going to play based upon the tax rates. Right. <laughs> yes. I, I, I recently, I, I happened to be a Miami Dolphins fan, and they got a player named Tyreek Hill who came there. And he actually said that was one of the reasons he chose Miami is because in Florida, they don't have an income tax. And, mm. uh, you know, even though he was considering some other teams. So, uh, yeah, it really does make a, a difference in a lot at of a ways. Certain point, at a certain point, everybody, no matter how how much money you have there's a point at which you just feel robbed yeah, exactly. and cheated yes exactly and, and it doesn't matter oh, yeah. if you're Elon Musk and you have all the money you could spend in 5000 lifetimes it still gets under your skin that people are just Watch. robbing you what well, what's yeah, terrible people, people with yeah. people with high earners like your football player are um, have a lot more to lose yeah. so their their 10% is a lot higher than my 10% I'll guarantee that yeah. Well, well, what's so terrible, too, is it's such a grift and a con to always use words like fair share when they're trying right. to get at these things. Exactly. And of course, uh, uh, as you were just saying, Susan, uh, the uh, very few people are paying a massive amount of the burden. And yet uh, these politicians who want to uh, tax and spend more just keep on using the word fair share as though these people weren't already paying a fair share. Exactly. <laughs> more than more than their fair share. More than anybody's yeah. fair share. More than anybody's fair share. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you know. You know. On a, on, a, on a little personal note here. You know, I I've worked all my life, retired uh, about three years ago, and I'm still paying tax. I paid taxes when I was working. I know I'm still paying the government taxes. As a matter of fact, I just had a massive tax bill that I had to take care of just two days ago. You know, I mean, it's just it's just so grinding to see people taking away your hard-earned labor all the time. Exactly. And the governor just signed something that increased a payroll tax for a lot of taxpayers. You know, he wanted to make it look like he was supporting family leave, paid family leave. Well, that program is paid for by employees themselves with a payroll tax deduction. 
and it's 1.1% of all the money you make. It's not an income tax exactly, but it's a payroll tax. And he mm. just took the ceiling off of it. It used to stop at a, at a particular point. And he said, well, why should it stop? Let's just take 1.1% of everything everybody makes in mm. this payroll tax to support this family leave program. And even at that, it's not going to be enough to pay out the benefits that he increased in this in this law he signed. So if, at some point, they're going to come to the rest of us, to the general fund, to whatever, to, to pay for all these programs, which are just pure politics, really. It's just we want to look like we care for people. So while we're bankrupting them with our regulations, while we're driving their jobs away to other states and more and more people are in poverty, we have the highest poverty rate in America when the cost of living is taken into account in California. And while they're pursuing policies that, that are doing that to people, they're pretending that they're rescuing them with these social programs. This mm. is just, I think it's yeah. called Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It's not just the poverty rate as well. I mean, we have issued other metrics too, like the uh, number of uh, sheer number of homeless people out there is the largest mm -hmm. in California. The um, as far as per capita, it's not the highest, but it is among the higher states as far as the per capita number. I mean, DC takes the cake on that. I guess they're about yeah. at least two times as higher as the highest. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, these uh, uh, boy, these policies. It just seems like they're just sucking us into the abyss one day uh, after another. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, we can put a stop to some of that. But, um, you know, one of the things we like to ask a guest on the show, because it's not clear how people come to these views, how people sort of get woken up to liberty. And, uh, you know, because in the public schools, they just you know, they're, they're sort of government schools. You don't really tend to value these things. And, uh, you know, usually the, the solutions are all pitched as government solutions to problems. So um, it, how was it that you woke up to liberty? Uh, just, you know, it's sort of one of these things so our guests can kind of understand how does it happen? How do you, how do you sort of ring that bell for people? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. I, I've been concerned about it as long as I can remember. I got active in politics for the first time in my life. I was not anywhere near politics. And I got active in it in, I think it was 2010. I volunteered for a congressional candidate. And the reason I did it is because I was watching the financial news one day. I always had it on in the background while I was doing other things. And they were just casually discussing nationalizing the auto industry. This was early in the Obama administration mm -hmm. and nationalizing the banks as if that was a normal thing. It's like, And we'll be right back after this to discuss nationalizing the auto industry. Is that the answer? And I just looked at the television set and said out loud, where is everybody? Where is everybody? that they're talking about these Soviet-style policies in the United States of America as if it's nothing, as if it's a mm. normal part of the discussion, nationalizing the auto industry. And I got active in politics. I worked for a congressional candidate in a hopeless race in a very Democratic district. He was a Republican. I was a Republican. Um, two years later, he decided he wasn't going to run again, but I thought that the argument still needed to be made. So I ran as a candidate for Congress just to make the argument. And I started writing op-eds and talking at debates and events. I mean, I hadn't made a speech since probably junior high school, but I started doing it and I became very active and reached out to voters, found a lot of voters who were very much aligned with this kind of thinking and no one was representing them. No one was representing any of us in the political process in this neighborhood, in this area of Southern California where I live. 
everybody was just sort of in the political process. They were all, well, socialism is good. Uh, it's just never been done correctly. But if it was done correctly, it would all work. Oh, well, no, it won't. It won't, no, it exactly. won't work. Exactly. <laughs> and I found a lot of homeowners who were very concerned about their tax bills, very concerned about all of it. Indeed. You know, one of the things that um, that is kind of interesting about this thing about the nationalizing the the um, the auto industry, you know, maybe you guys, maybe uh, maybe I'm going to show my age here, but during the Reagan administration, uh, Reagan was a president that I really liked. Okay, during the Reagan administration, they ba they bailed out Chrysler. Okay, they gave us a bunch of taxpayers dollars to Chrysler. Now Chrysler did pay it back, but the fact of the matter is that here is a Republican president, somebody that I truly like, and. I would have voted if I wasn't a citizen at the time. But he bailed out, he authorized the bailout of Chrysler. I mean, this is the government intervening into the marketplace. Chrysler should have been sold off. That's what eventually happened to them. They just delayed the inevitable. But government intervening in the marketplace is becoming a disease in our United States. It's a real problem. It is. And they, they don't they don't solve the problems when they do that. As you said, they just delay the problems. And exactly. And it doesn't it doesn't work well. But there's there's a lot of politics in politics and people need votes for the other thing they're doing that they're not talking about while they're bailing out Chrysler. And there's someone from Michigan or wherever that that vote's very important for some other tax cut that maybe the president was pushing. And so mm -hmm. deals are made and it's not yeah. very pretty to watch, but that's how it happens. Well, and, and these these impacts go far beyond to just some companies and and uh, large corporations. Uh, we just saw this with COVID. You know, I mean, the idea that we had a Republican who was in the White House and yet two weeks to stop the spread just did not seem like a. a it had crossed a principled line for a lot of people. And so they went along with it and there was no end to it at that point. Right. And <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, had we had somebody maybe like a Rand Paul up there or something in the white house, there might have been a principled stand, but uh, just because you could see that the principles are a lot clearer with him than a lot of other people. So, uh, yeah. You know, I, well, you know about that, about that principle. I'm sorry, Susan, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say the governor announced, I think today that he's going to end the state of emergency in February of 2023. What's that? Wow. What's that? How do you have an emergency that you end months yeah, away yeah. from now? Right, yeah. End the emergency. That's what the law says at the yeah, earliest date yeah. that conditions warrant, not when you choose. This is yeah. this is troubling. Indeed. <laughs> that's well, that's, that's how what I was going to not really an emergency mm -hmm. is when you can schedule its its uh its right. resolution. Well, well it's kind of like his emergency visit to the French laundry. Well I was just gonna say something quickly here, um Jason, was that um you know you said that if we had somebody principled like maybe Ron Paul or Ron Paul in any White House at the time of COVID, maybe they would have taken a principal stand. Maybe so. But I wonder if they would have eventually bent the pressure that was clearly there to, um, to quote unquote, do something. You know, whenever we have this pressure from all the interest that's involved in these things, there's always this big push, this big push. And then I wonder if our politicians, our principal politicians would have bent it to the, would have bent to the pressure. I, I don't know. It could have happened. I don't know. 
I, I think this is why it is so important that we just don't simply generically label ourselves red and blue. I mean, that the principles are so important for those of us who understand them. It's so important for us to talk to other people about them because otherwise, you know, no, nobody's going to really understand when we've crossed a line. And, and I think some of these principles on liberty are, are sadly not very commonly held <laughs> as we saw with yeah. COVID. Well, valid point. Valid point. One of the problems in politics is that when people are afraid, they they are vulnerable to the argument that someone is going to protect them and take care of them. And if the policies are destroying people's opportunity to support themselves, see their families, all the rest, then they're vulnerable to falling for more of it, more of these policies, because they feel very frightened. And And if you talk about freedom to people who are frightened, what they hear is, I'm going to be in trouble and you're not going to take care of me. You're not going to help me. That's what they hear. They don't tell you that's what they hear. That's what they hear. And yeah. that's why when Republicans sometimes talk about things like, oh, we're for a balanced budget, what people hear is, I'm going to be in trouble and you're not going to help me. Yeah. And they vote Democratic. And so they vote for more of the policies that are causing the problems that they're experiencing. And so the answer is to talk about liberty and what it makes possible, the prosperity, the security, yeah. the freedom. All the things that are positive about liberty have to be explained to people because they don't see the value of it. They're very frightened. They don't see that the answer is to free the economy, create more jobs, create more opportunity, and then there, there will be less to be fearful about. Mm -hmm. But you have to go down the liberty path to get there. Yes, of course. Well, yes, you know, that, I thought that was a wonderful insight. But there was one thing, too, when you said it's what they hear. And what compounds the problem of what they hear nowadays is that the people in power are starting to get their hands on literally what we hear, which is really starting to get scary. <laughs> this yes, morning, yes, Governor yes, Newsom yeah, yeah. has recently you mean they're said taken that, away. They're taking away the rebuttal to what they're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, like Governor Newsom's literally saying he's going to take away doctor's licenses if they contradict him on COVID. And, you know, uh, right. we've heard similar messaging from the Biden administration with yeah, his, but that's, that's know, ministry of truth. <laughs> yeah, that's not a, exactly. Yeah, but that's not an abridgment of the First Amendment, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 you know, you talk about these, these things that the government is doing, Jason. I mean, remember, Biden was trying to start this disinformation government governance board or whatever the hell it was that they were going to start i mean and we just had jen saki coming out many times and talking about oh the the platform should be um the, those um social media platforms should um, be doing more to stop misinformation and disinformation this is coming from the government yeah. You know? So it's yeah. scary. You're right. Absolutely. Terrible stuff. Yeah. Yes. Well, you, you know, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, Susan, while you're here is, are there other similar parallel organizations to yours in other states or do you guys have efforts that, that reach into other states as well? Or is it just focused on California? The Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is just focused on California. Mm -hmm. That keeps us very busy. Um, <laughs> we do get calls from other states saying we want to prop yeah. 13 in our state. How do we do that? And we, we talk to them, but we don't do that for them. Okay. Well, what are some of the challenges you guys are facing nowadays too, as far as, uh, you know, organizationally, I, you know, for anybody who's interested in sort of organizing for Liberty, it's always interesting to hear what some of the challenges that other people are, are facing. Well, it's just difficult to reach people in California. It's a very expensive market. Um, so it's expensive to do mail. The, the 40 million people live in this state. It's expensive to mail people. It's expensive to do television. But we do we do what we can. We do radio. We do 
We do a podcast, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association podcast, which is soon to be on radio on KABC every Monday night. And we also, uh, we have a foundation that does legal and educational work. Uh, we have political committees that fight when there's something on the ballot, a PAC committee that endorses candidates. We do what we can. Hmm. But Susan, how, um, I mean, this, I mean, being real here, this is California. Okay. I mean, they're, they're, um, they're, they're well into the, into the belly of the beast of socialism. We, we know that, but um, how, how do you, how, how receptive are the citizens of California to the message that the Howard Jarvis Tax Association put out there? How receptive are they? Well, it, I, I think they are very receptive. Proposition 13 is supported by two-thirds of voters in every poll, every time. And just recently in 2020, there was a big effort to try and attack Prop 13 by splitting the property tax roll and reassessing all the commercial property to market value, which would just raise prices, which we're already seeing without that. So it would be even worse. And the voters turned that down. They said no to an attack on Prop 13. So we're heartened by that. We think people are, are receptive to the message. One thing that people don't know is that the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is a member organization, and you can be a member of it. And for that, you get our newsletter, which I edit, and it's got a lot of uh, interesting information that you won't find anywhere else about taxes and where you can where you can save money and how you can understand what's happening in the legislature and in the courts. We, we try to make it as transparent for general readers as we can, because it's important that everyone in California understands what's happening in this state. And so we do that. So you can be a member. And for information, go to hjta.org. Okay. Well, you know, we were curious too, what are some of the other successes that you guys have had as well? We're getting a little close to the end of the show, but um, I, I was just curious because I know Proposition 13 is definitely the biggie and that's what got you guys going. But are there some other noteworthy efforts that you guys have been behind recently as well? Yes. Uh, well, we did, we did Proposition 218, which is the right to vote on taxes. And in Proposition 218 is something very few people know about, which is the right to do an initiative to repeal a local tax. So if there's a sales tax that voters approved years ago and you're not getting your money's worth, you can do an initiative locally under Prop 218. And to get it on the ballot, all you need is 5% of the number of people who voted for governor in the last gubernatorial election. And if you, the last regular, not recalls don't count, the last general election. Uh, so for LA County, for instance, that would only be about 151,000 people. And, and people could put something on the ballot and repeal some of these abusive tax increases that have been layered on top of each other and that are making life in California so expensive. Hmm. Wow, that is, that is awesome to hear. We're, we're just about at the end of our time. Is there any last uh, messages you want to uh, leave with our audience real quick? Just that everyone should be involved. Don't give up. Cancel the U-Haul. Be involved in be involved in protecting your freedom. <laughs> Stay and fight for freedom. Because if you go somewhere else, it's going to come for you there. It's just a matter of time. So fight for freedom everywhere. And also freedom is a condition that exists under a government of limited power. So always remember that the limits on government power are what's making a free life possible. And don't feel that the limits on government power are restricting the government's ability to help people. Actually, the real help is the limit on government power. And that's yes. what we fight for. 
Awesome. We couldn't have said that better ourselves. I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Susan. And we, uh, and by the way, we're going to have her on for a, another podcast where we kick around some of the propositions as well. So check that out. Uh, but until next time, stay free. Yes, indeed. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.